to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Come on, brothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the valley to pray. I went down in the valley to pray, studying about that Hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Logan Holiday. Oh, and I am Toby Shelton. This is Theology Talks. Theology Talks. <laughs> That's it. That's we, what we called it. Yeah, because there's nothing else called it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a, a while since we've been with you. Yeah, and hopefully if you tuned in and watched our episodes last week, you get your up to date on what everything's going on. <laughs> there was no episode last week. Um Anyways, <laughs> Toba, what have we been doing? Not this. For the past six months. Not this. Not this. Um, no, what have you been up to? Well, a lot of just like isolation and loathing and canceling everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Uh, Didn't you start school or something? Well, you know, at one time I thought I was going to get in shape. Yeah. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to school and get my PhD. <laughs> and so I've been doing that. I finished my first class. That's good. I'm almost, I got three weeks left, two weeks, really two weeks left on my next class. Yeah, just about three years to go? Yeah, about six. Yeah, about six. About six okay. Years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going great. Well, me and my family, we uh, went no to. No one cares. We went to youth camp and uh, ended up getting COVID. I was there and I didn't because I'm awesome. Because you already had it. No, I have really strong immunities. Oh. Well, my family got through it okay. And my wife, she ended up getting pneumonia, but she's doing much better now. She didn't go to the hospital. Um, nope, didn't go to the hospital. Didn't have to go to the hospital. That's good. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I've been up to just the summer months. Lots of camps to go to. We spent a lot of time talking about how we need to make more podcasts because yes. we've invested money in it. We have. <laughs> it just never. We just never get around to it. We have not. Um, our church hired a pastor. That's right. They did. Chris. Chris yeah. Thorman. Yep. We had pretty much since we've done this, we hadn't really had one, I don't think. Nope. Maybe we had. I don't know. Hey, here's what we're not doing. Yeah, what are we not doing, Tobe? <laughs> we're not going to talk about Revelation anymore. Why are we not going to talk about Revelation well, anymore? a couple reasons. One, uh, don't go back and watch it. Um, might have butchered some of the text. Uh, <laughs> he did. Uh, I unintentionally. Didn't. All minor. Good. Yeah, Logan did fine. Um, <laughs> really bad. Uh, but, you know, you guys don't know, so you're fine. Uh, and then... Um, you know what? It just got to be too much of what we were doing. So we were trying to do too much at one time. Yeah, it's just too big of a topic. We may every now and then like touch on it, like tonight. Or, yep. or tonight. It's dark outside here. Um, we might hit on it a little bit. Yeah. Yep. So what we're we gonna talk about tonight? Theology. Well, I know. What about theology? We're gonna talk about all those dirty sinners who are gonna burn in hell. <gasps> That's right. We're gonna be talking about hell tonight. And uh, what brought this up, uh, kind of a, while we decided to talk about it, was annihilationism. What is annihilationism? 
Well, it's uh, another term for it, which is really great. Yeah. Is uh, um, what's that word? Can't think of it right now. It's uh, immortality. It's the word that they. Oh yeah, conditional immortality. Conditional immortality. Yeah. Conditioner for your hair. Yeah. Um, that. So it's an immortality that has conditions upon it. Yeah. So and God can choose to grant you that immortality, or He can choose not to. Yeah. So the idea is that when the soul of an unredeemed person, when they die, that soul, um, well, at the at the final judgment, right. at the final judgment, that soul is judged and cast into the lake of fire, mm-hmm. and just like fire does here on Earth, it doesn't burn forever. It eventually burns up what is thrown into it. And so the idea is is that the human souls that are cast into that fire are completely consumed and their existence ceases. They blotted out. No more existence. That's right. And uh, this is really popular uh, among uh, young Christians today because it makes God seem more loving and, and merciful and not as harsh as he, it would be if he, if he assigned people to eternal conscious torment. That just seems... Um, unloving of God. Yeah, so just traditional view, eternal conscious torment means... Um, fire, brimstone, burning in hell, <laughs> burning in fire. You are in an eternal hell forever, and you're conscious of it, and it never right. ends. Right. Seems excessive to those people, I guess. It does. It does, does it seem excessive to you? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's what I grew up with. Um, eternal yeah, conscious torment. Everyone pretty much around in this area has. and Right. Now, are we for sure that it's going to be fire and brimstone? Uh, where people get that from is pretty much one place. That's the book of Revelation, a yep. very sim- highly symbolic book. So uh, we can't say that dogmatically, of course, it's going to be fire and brimstone, but we are going to look at some scriptures tonight um, and kind of come to a conclusion. What is brimstone? <laughs> I don't know. That brick? Hey, write in. (laughs) Write in, phone in, and make comments. (laughs) What is brimstone? What is brimstone? Yeah, so annihilationism. Uh, Is there any places in Scripture where annihilationism, where the sinner is finally consumed and it just ceases to exist? Um, Where would that be supported at in the Bible, you think? Uh, you know, they use a lot of proof texts, and what that means is they, they have a lot of texts that they, they line up behind to show their argument that fire burns, and then eventually fire stops burning. Just like fire would consume grant, uh, chaff. Yeah. And right. Anything. When you burn, you have the burn pile at your house, right, and you put stuff in it, um, and when it burns up, it's done, and the yep. fire goes out. So, and the truth of it is, is that we see images of judgment in the Old Testament, that of course that's what happens. Right. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are not still burning. Right. Tyre and Sidon are not still burning to the ground. There's not still smoke. Edom's not still burning. Right. Um, and I would make the distinction that in the Old Testament, though, Sodom and Gomorrah, their fate was not, uh, it was never specified that this was going to be something eternally happening to them. It was always just immediate judgment. Yeah, we're talking about in this life, right. in this world, what's going to occur. Right. And in most judgments in the Old Testament are related to that. And the closest thing, like they get the um, the imagery that 
that Revelation draws from is from Isaiah 34 and from Isaiah 66. And right. We have to ask the question, what, how are those texts being used? Right. And then how, like when Jesus uses Isaiah 66, for example, how is he using it? So a lot of the judgment language in the Old Testament then was concerning judgment coming upon people here and now and not what was happening after they died. Yeah, the Old Testament is not super concerned with that. In fact, right. the, I guess we should probably give a little background. So in the Old Testament, when you died, uh, every soul went to Sheol, which is the grave, the pit. Um, your bones, your body turned back to dust, right? Because from yep. dust we came... So, uh, like, there's verses in Job that'll say, like, I'm going back to dust, and I'm going to Sheol, and then there's places in Isaiah where it talks about in Sheol there's shades, yep. which can mean people. It That word for it is really interesting, uh, mainly because that word is also used to refer to giants. But anyway, <laughs> it's uh, crazy. Um, but yeah, we, we have very little... But everyone went to the place of the dead. Yeah, and otherwise there's not a lot of interest in the afterlife other than like, it's not a good place for right. anybody. Right. No one, no one. David didn't want to go there. Right. David, in Psalm 16, you will um, save my soul from, from Sheol. Yeah. He's not a fan. Not a yeah. fan. Definitely not. Now, that changes when Jesus, I think, illuminates that for us. I think he does illuminate it. But... He's also telling a parable so of sorts. You're talking about Luke 16. Yeah, Luke 16. He tells a parable of sorts. Yep. But at the same time, he has no motivation to give us a false understanding of the afterlife. Right. So why would he? Right. Well, since we're talking about this, we talked about Sheol. In the, when you get to the New Testament, there is still the place of the dead, except it's not called Sheol in the New Testament. In Greek, it's it's Hades, H-A-D-E-S. Yep. And Hades is... It is that Greek word and the equivalent of Sheol. It's the, the realm of the dead. Right. And then what we see in your Bibles, and sometimes they translate Hades as hell, I guess. Uh, the King James. So if you have a King James Bible, and I yeah. think the, the new King James does a better job at making the distinction, but in the King James especially, it does not make the distinction between the realm of the dead, Hades, and hellfire. Right, and, and that the thing is, is like the word that Jesus uses that most modern translations translate as hell is a geographical location known as Gehenna. Yes. So why, why, does, he, why does he do that? Jesus refers to Gehenna that we translate as hell in English uh, because this was the valley of Hinnom. This is the place where people would worship the god Molech, and they would sacrifice their babies to him by fire. So the, the child would be burned up in this valley of Hinnom. Ancient abortion. Yes, essentially. Yeah, so here's what like uh, Jeremiah 19 talks about it. Uh, it says, um, and he's talking about, this is what's going to happen in this place that was already a place where they were sacrificing children. And, and the God says, it's, no, it's, it's called Topeth. It's not going to be called Topeth anymore. It's not going to be called the Valley of the Son of Hinnon, but the Valley of Slaughter. Right. And in this place I will make void the plains of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will cause their people to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hand of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. And everyone who passes by will be horrified and will hiss because of all its wounds. And I'll make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters. Cannibalism. 
And everything shall eat the flesh of his neighbor. Everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbor in the siege and in the distress with which their enemies and those who seek their life afflict them. So judgment is coming upon the people because of what they are doing with their children, because they are sacrificing to this God, Molech. Yeah, and then that literally comes true. <laughs> it does come true. It comes true uh, several times in the Old Testament, yeah. not just one time. It came true in A.D. 70. And then the New Testament, yeah, after the New Testament was written, yeah. Uh, it came true whenever, uh, whenever Babylon came upon Jerusalem. Right. So that did happen. But let's, let's make the distinction here. Um, I'm going to read Luke 16 to you to show you that the people, whether you were talking about Sheol or Hades, the realm of the dead, uh, the Jews seem to see the realm of the, the place itself as being divided where you had on one side of the line, you had a place called paradise, a place of comfort. But on the other side of the divide or the schism, you had a place of torment. I don't call it paradise. What do you call it? Abraham's bosom. Well, that's, that's what Jesus calls it as well. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to read this to you. It says, Now there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, uh, gaily living in splendor every day. And certain poor men... They How's he went, living? Went, huh? How's he living? Happily living. That's not what I heard. No, my NASB 77 has the word gaily. <laughs> oh, the 70s. To be alive. Oh, to be what alive, what alive in the like 70s. To be alive in the 70s. Go ahead. It says that a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs oh, which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. There's that good side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... Now notice, in Hades, the realm of the dead, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. What a jerk. And so you have the, you have the, the illustration given by Jesus in the parable of the rich man Lazarus that there is a place called Hades, the realm of the dead, or Sheol in the Old Testament, and it was divided. The guy wouldn't take one second to help this guy out. I mean, Lazarus was, was dying at his doorstep, and dogs were licking his sores, yep. and the guy wouldn't even give him his table scraps, and then he has the audacity to ask, Hey, Lazarus, bring me a little water. <laughs> And Abraham says, no. No, don't you see? There's an <laughs> infinite chasm here. It cannot be crossed. It is. So um, so here is a good example by Jesus that there is a realm of the dead, and it's divided. One side's a place of comfort, and the other side's a place of torment. But this is not an eternal state. No, we would see this place as we would still call it Sheol. Yeah, but, but this is what we call the intermediate state. You're an intermediate state. Because... What would be the eternal state is when the resurrection happens, when the dead are raised and judged, mm -hmm. and then those that go into eternal life versus those that go to eternal condemnation. Maybe. That's what we're discussing today, whether annihilationism is true or false and what the Scriptures point to. Or maybe we just like to say annihilation. Maybe so. It's a fun word. Maybe so. There are several times in the scriptures, Tob, where Jesus talks about outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
What does that even mean? Well, it seems to be that because there's three times in Matthew that he says it, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 22, and Matthew chapter 25, um, that specifically mention both the outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yep. Can you gnash your... And it seems to be related to the kingdom. Because he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, he says, There will be those that enter the kingdom and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there will be those who are out, be, are going to be tossed outside the kingdom where they're in outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It doesn't sound like, like a, a lot of fun. It doesn't. It doesn't. But he mentions it several times throughout the Gospel of Matthew. And I think it is significant. And I think the Apostle Paul illuminates a little bit for us of what Jesus yeah. is meaning because the question we have to ask is, is this outer darkness, this place of judgment, this place of wailing and anguish, is it eternal or not? And Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, what's he say there? I don't have that pulled up. You pull it up. Oh, 2 Thessalonians. Does it say gaily? It does not say gaily, no. God gaily devoted them to destruction. <laughs> So, First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, let me see here. Oh, Second Thessalonians. That's where I want to go to. Yeah, you're right. Second Thessalonians, chapter one, verse nine says, it "says And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power." So there will be those that will be away from the presence of the Lord, which I take as outer darkness, and it's going to be eternal destruction. It, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. So the question that annihilationists raise, um, because we get, if we get to like Matthew 25, for example, right. it's going to say at the judgment that they're gonna, some are going to eternal life, some going to eternal destruction or eternal punishment. Uh, John 5, Daniel 12, right. there's some who are raised to eternal life, some who are raised to eternal condemnation. Right. And the question is, so the annihilationists would say, just because the punishment is eternal doesn't mean that the punishment is an ongoing action. It could be talking about how the result of the punishment is eternal. Okay. Whereas the result, uh, it, it's not necessarily referring to the process. It's referring to the result of the eternality. Okay. Or the word eternal means the age to come. Or uh, They debate the definitions of terms. And the interesting thing is, is that they're, what they're doing is if you look in every Greek lexicon, which I've done this week, mm -hmm. ever written. I'm just kidding. Um, all the modern ones. He has all of them. I do have a whole collection. I'm very proud of my collection. <laughs> okay. But none of them uh, give their definitions. Right. Which is, which is tricky, right? So we have to ask the question, is this really what's going on? Because there are sometimes they, the, the Greek lexicons don't always get it right. Well, let's, uh, I think uh, the best way uh, to solve this issue that, a, that annihilationists bring up is to let Jesus define for us uh, whether hell will be eternal uh, and the action will be an ongoing action eternally or whether it will not. And mm -hmm. I think Jesus does a good job of this because in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, towards the end of the chapter, uh, God, or Isaiah starts talking about the joy of Jerusalem's future. And in verse 22, it says this, 
For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, will endure before me, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure, and it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they shall go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all mankind." And so some annihilationists say, hey, Isaiah is not talking about uh, these men. Uh, this is not an eternal punishment situation. These men are dead, and uh, they are annihilated, essentially. Well, I mean, a corpse is a corpse, right? corpse is a corpse. But I say, how does Jesus interpret this passage of Scripture? And Jesus, um, we go to... Uh, Mark chapter 9. It's right after Mark 8. Okay, and right before Mark 10, no. right? No, no. Oh, oh, okay. Mark chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse uh, 45. And Jesus says, And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Whether, uh, where their worm uh, does not die and the fire is not quenched. So it seems to be Jesus' interpretation, Tob, that if the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched, that this, uh, this continues on. It, no, the action does not end. That the worm always has a corpse to feed on. True, but, and the pushback would be, but that doesn't tell us that there is a human soul in that corpse, mm -hmm. right? That there's still a soul that, it could be even that the physical body that's thrown into the fire doesn't burn up, but the soul goes away. Or there's even this idea they have that people will go based upon the measure of their sin mm -hmm. into eternal hellfire or whatever we want it, it is. And based on that time, they'll spend a certain amount of time there. And then at the end of that time period, then they expire. Right. So my, my pushback against that would be this. Uh, it seems to be that the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched, that there's always going to be something to feed on uh, there. That means because if it, if somebody's on the fire and the annihilationists are saying, "Hey, eventually the fire will consume what's been placed upon it," this seems to say, "No, it, it will continue because there will always be something to feed on." And so that, that that would be a little pushback I would give, and I would also say that it seems that someone, uh, if they if they cease to exist, period, if they are annihilated out of existence totally, then. Would that mean that that person actually paid for their sin? Like what they were experiencing was propitiatory? I mean, in their mind, sure. So my, my thing is, if that's true, if they were paying for their sin on the fire, in the fire of Gehenna, hell, uh, then why, once their sin is paid for, how come they can't go into heaven? Why do they have to be annihilated? That's a wonderful question. That's all I'm saying. And, but they would, in some ways, they would say, okay, how long did Jesus suffer on the cross? 
Ah, that's true. Was it? Is it forever? No, about six is hours. It six hours, right? Right. And of course, he had. I mean, it was a few hours leading up to that. It was pretty rough. Um, I, mean, I wouldn't want it. Uh, right. But but we would also see it wasn't eternity. We would also see a big difference between Jesus and ourselves. Was he hundred percent man, or was he, he not? Who, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That's not what that means. <laughs> we uh, were born sinners. So there's you can't a, prove that. <laughs> I saw Psalm fifty one. You should go read it. Um, Wasn't that Psalm one thirty nine talking about it too? Psalm fifty one. David well, I talks know about that. it. Sinful from his well, mother's womb. Is that the one thirty nine? I don't remember. Well, I'm going to put you in your place. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. So th- this does seem uh, these words for Jesus does seem to mean that the action is ongoing. Uh, that it is eternal, uh, that he, this is how he interprets Isaiah. Um, but let's talk about Daniel. No, it's just him making him. Nothing about a sin. But yeah. <laughs> let's talk about Daniel. In Daniel chapter, uh, you look up John 5, 29. Never heard of it. And I will go to Daniel. While we look that up, I will make an, a comment about the gnashing of teeth. Sure, go ahead. Jesus is addressing um, the sheep and the goats in 25 when he brings yep. it up. Chapter 25, verse 46. They're like, Jesus, when did we not do this? And he's like, when you didn't do it for the least of these, right? Right. And so uh, he's he's addressing people who are essentially probably see themselves in the church. Uh, I mean, all the nations are gathered. Well, he says, uh, when you've done at least these, my brethren. Right. Right, so So, it's talking about believers. Yeah, people in the the church who are goats. Ooh. And and he says, and we'll get to, I think, Chapter 10, when we talk about that verse, too. I think Vody Balkum would say, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so the the truth of the matter is, is that when God seems to start with judgment, he typically starts with his people. Yes, always. Always with his people. And so just keeping that in mind, yep. that the weeping and gnashing of teeth, though it is true universally, Jesus in the context, like chapter 8 of Matthew He's addressing that many sons of the kingdom will be cast out. Yes, he's talking about his and own then, people. I think that's also chapter 10. And he says people will be brought in from all over. Yes. But the sons of the kingdom, no. Right. Uh, those who basically reject him. Right. But, yeah, anyway, blasting the Holy Spirit. That's the term. That's in, that's in Mark. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. I just wanted to make that comment that look at those passages and you'll see that uh, his audience is interesting. It is. Um, Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse 2, Daniel says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Mm-hmm. And Jesus seems to, uh, he, he quotes this, does he not, in John chapter 5? Yeah, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And out and come out, and those who have uh, done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Right. And so Daniel seems to imply that uh, some are going to be going to eternal life. Uh, Olam is the Hebrew word there, and it means eternal. Um, And then some will go to eternal judgment, condemnation. Um, And so, again, I guess the annihilationist could say, yes, they're going to go to eternal punishment, but the punishment doesn't last forever. Right. Eventually you're consumed. I think uh, that's hard to prove. 
There is one passage of Scripture that I can think of, Tob, in the entire New Testament where the annihilationist may have a footing to, to support their claim, and that's uh, Matthew chapter 10. Right. Matthew 10, uh, verse 28. Read that for us. Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body. This is him sending out his disciples, uh, the 72, right? Right. Um, uh, who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Right. So Jesus says, fear him, talking about God, can destroy both body and soul in hell. But we've already read uh, Paul in First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, that even the destroy there that Jesus mentions uh, can be eternal. Eternal yeah. destruction, Right. And so I, I think what Jesus is referring to is eternal destruction there. It's not going to be annihilated, but simply destroyed, but that destruction will continue. Yeah, well, and they also will take like John 3.16, ah, shall not perish. Shall not perish. But that's a more of an idea of loss. I mean, the Bible does talk um, about a second death. It does, and right. we'll, we'll, we can hit on that a little bit. But also like verses um, like three three nineteen of Philippians. Philippians 3.19. Right. It's talking about the enemies of Christ, and Paul says their end is their destruction. Right. But what he's, it's actually military terminology, and he's saying their their end is their their defeat. Right. So it's not actually talking about end time destruction Nothing happened to their body. No, nothing. They like are that. just defeated. Yeah, he's, he's using military imagery there, and so that verse actually doesn't have any, I guess we'd say, uh, final judgment connotations exactly. It just means that, they're not going to be able to overcome Jesus. So it's very important then when you're looking at Scripture and it's talking about judgment, you need to put it in its context. What yeah. kind of judgment are we referring to? Are we referring to earthly, immediate judgments going to happen here and now? Or is this something that's going to happen at the consummation of yeah, all things? Yeah, because if you read through Isaiah right. and you took every every connotation of, of what judgment would be, it's it's a large chunk of the book or Jeremiah or any, any uh, prophet. And if you made that all like end times judgment, I mean, you'd be ripping it from its context. Right, so, because Isaiah sometimes talks about Babylon coming, sometimes talks Assyria. about Assyria coming yeah. on the people. So, I mean, you have to pretty much put it in its context and see what it's referring to. I was just going to take us to Revelation. Let's take us to Revelation chapter 20, because I think that's very important. I was going to hit 14 first, but we can do Let's it. hit 14 first, then yeah. we'll go to 20. So, Revelation 14. Um, now... I think probably, and this is something that we would have covered if we'd have kept going through Revelation. A lot of people, if you if you study it, um, I know this is a long way about this, but I, I go have ahead, to go stuff. ahead, go okay. ahead. When you get to Revelation twenty, and it talks about how Satan receives judgment and his followers receive judgment, it it ends, it goes into the story of Gog and Magog, and why is that there? It's if you go to Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine, Gog and Magog is told in 38, and it's told again from a different perspective in 39. Same story, uh, told two different ways, and that's called recapitulation. And so when we get into the visions of Revelation, especially when we get like chapter 14 and on, we're going to start getting this recapitulation, where the same thing is told different ways. Look right. how they all end. They all end with the destruction of people, and they all end pretty much the same way. So. Right. We already get the destruction here in verse 14, or chapter 14. Let's start with uh, verse 9. 
And another angel, the third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its images and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he, will, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night, these, worship, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, just so you know, the mark of the beast is not a microchip. It's not a barcode. It's not... <gasps> dun, the, dun, dun. the mark of the beast is essentially rejecting Christ and following the systems of this world and worshiping the systems of this world. It is the unforgivable sin. Yeah, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That takes us back to um, Matthew mm-hmm. uh, chapter 8 or 10. One of those, I don't remember. Anyway, you know what, Mark. Oh, it's Mark. Sorry. Mark, Mark something. You know what? This is what happens when you don't have a lot of notes. But I say this because it says what? The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Who's tormented? The beast and its image and the, those who receive the mark of it, the beast. So pretty much anyone who's not a believer um, is going to receive forever torment. Forever and ever. There's no rest day or night. Now, the annihilationists would say that I mean, that is happening dur- during a period of punishment. I mean, w- wouldn't eventually uh, there be no more smoke if people are consumed completely eventually? Well, now, they would say that taking that from Isaiah 34, the smoke is a memorial of the event, and so it's imagery. Right. Which, and, which and Revelation we, is a very symbolic book. And that's what we would say. We would say that we would not base uh, our full understanding on hell strictly off the book of Revelation because of it, its hylic symbolic right. language. We know it's bad. I said hylic. Highly symbolic language. Hylic symboly. Hylic. The hylic symbols. Uh, <laughs> you, why don't you do Revelation 20 and while you're doing that? I was looking for that verse in Mark. Oh, <laughs> I think it's... Uh, so I could uh, tell the people. Yeah, you tell them and I'll, I'll keep going. You keep going. Yeah, so we're going to get to this point... Uh, we're going to have destruction in chapter 20 of Revelation, right? Uh, Satan is, is bound, and then he's released, and then he's going to be destroyed. Yeah, we can start with verse 10 before we can start. I'm skipping all the good stuff, the second oh. death and all that stuff. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, We'll talk about second death. All right. Uh, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed, which if you read it in this context are fellow believers judging with Jesus. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And uh, (laughs) I'm moving past that. Um, The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so we know that there's a second death, and yes. here's, here's the reference to the second death right here. Right. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and to deceive the nations that are the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, it doesn't say here 
that the people are consumed, but the devil, the beast, and the false prophet are tormented day, not forever and ever. But we have the worshipers of this beast being consumed in chapter 14. Right. And we'll notice when we keep going, this is where where the devil and his angels, where the false prophet is, this, where they're being tormented day and night at forever and ever, that's the same place that people are going to be thrown into. So let me keep going. Yep, keep then going. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Um, then another book was opened, which is the book of life, Daniel chapter 7. And the, ju- the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. So we got death and Hades, right? The Sheol. The intermediate or, state is empty. They're emptying it, uh, which all righteous people have already been by Jesus' resurrection. He takes them when he's with them, right? Right. Um, uh, that's why it says to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the So we can talk about it just for a second, Tom, since you brought that up. People still go to Hades, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But only those who do not know Christ. Jesus has provided a way as for him dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. He is our uh, mediator between God and man. And because he sits on the throne of heaven and he intercedes on our behalf, because he does this, then the believer, when he dies, can go immediately to be with the Lord. Right. That's why Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, but people still go to Hades who do not know Christ, and that is the intermediate state. So death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire now. Right. And he says, this is the second death. What is it? The lake of fire. So technically, the word hell doesn't even exist in the Bible. Mm-hmm. The closest thing we have to it, Jesus references it in, to give them an image of the Gehenna, Valley of Hinnom. which is going back to prophecies from Jeremiah and, and how it was used. Um, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now let's talk about this, Tobe, because I think this is a strong passage to support eternal conscious torment. Why do I say that? Is because because you're a monster. Because the dead are raised, uh, both uh, believers and non-believers. Everybody is standing before the great white throne of judgment. Everybody. And so, if you are resurrected, then you have received an eternal resurrected body. So you have people have been given a body prepared for the eternal state. Some of those will spend the eternal state with Christ. And there will be those who have an eternal body who will spend their eternal state apart from Christ. And so I think God has given them, this is a strong passage to say, the body that has been prepared for you is prepared for eternal uh, condemnation. So, I mean, there's pushback there. Sure. Um, And then also the idea that this, that God would sustain an immortal soul, just so uh, give soul Im- and soul immortality. Well, apparently He resurrects them, right? Uh, but He gives <laughs> He gives a soul immortality um, to receive eternal judgment. Sure, and He sustains it. Sure, um, and also, by the way, how come everyone's like cool with like either like humans being annihilated or whatever, but? You know, really, does God not create and love angels like divine beings too? But yet, no one seems to care that they're going to be eternally, like, for sure, for sure, the language you cannot get around, they're going to be eternally tormented forever. So, 
No one seems to be too upset about that. Um, okay, whatever. I mean, God made them too. Um, so, but people will push back on this, uh, I think, simply because it bothers their conscience. I think it's, we've got to present God more loving and more gracious and more merciful because nobody would believe a God believe in a God like this. And I would tell them they are absolutely right uh, because apart from God granting someone uh, eternal life and gives them a new heart and puts his spirit within them, they would never worship a God like this. Oh, I meant to do the clap. Dang it. I don't know the buttons. And it goes longer that than I wanted to. That was my drop mic moment. I know. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, so here's what I would, I would say about that, too, is that what we deal with and what we've always dealt with in culture and where these ideas come from is... When people do wrestle with interpretation of text, there's legitimacy there. We, sure. we, I asked Logan, like, okay, would you say that someone who holds to annihilationism is a false prophet or a false teacher? No. Nope. Actually, we wouldn't. In fact, there's many believers that we would lock hands with and, and fellowship with that hold this view. Right. Um, that's okay. It's a secondary issue. I do. We do, though, agree that it brings some distortion to the gospel. Yes. Because the whole gospel does need to be preached, which does include the doctrine of hell. Yes. And the doctrine of hell needs to be understood well. And we can't just, we can't do our, what we would call exegetical gymnastics, which means drawing our interpretation of the text so that makes us feel more comfortable. In the end, God is still making a soul disappear from existence. Um, I could see how that might be more appealing to people who don't believe, or at least our understanding of like, what about people who don't hear the gospel and and all those kinds of difficult questions that we wrestle with. Right. But if you look at these passages and you look that the worshipers are tormented day and night and go into the lake of fire, the beast and the and all this goes into the lake of fire. Um, With eternal bodies. Yeah. Resurrected bodies. Here to me, to me, this the death nail is actually um, in Revelation twenty two and Zechariah fourteen. Okay. So mainly Revelation twenty two. I just want to read Zechariah fourteen because it's super crazy. Um, so Revelation. Let's see here. Uh, let's just read the, the, the good parts. Uh, 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Contrast that with the mark of the beast language, by the way. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of, of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. He said to these, these words are trustworthy and true. Right? So we have this image of the city, of dwelling with God forever and ever. There's no more light. We'll see his face. We're told there'll be no temple. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, do not seal up the words. Hang on, hang on. Where am I at here? Oh, here we go. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. That's the believer. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Right. So they're still outside the city. 
Well, this is the this is the same thing Jesus says over and over in Matthew. This is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they will be those who are cast out of it in the outer darkness. And these are those who are outside the gates here, sorcerers and moral persons and murderers and liars, adulterers. And here's how um, there's always this image, and this starts, if you read Isaiah 2, it's, well, most of the, most of the Old Testament has this image that at the end, the center of the world is Jerusalem. Right. And all of God's people from all the nations, all the kings with them are going to be gathered up. They're going to come into the city. So we have that, um, the same words being used in uh, the last chapter of Zechariah, which is, by the way, one of the most difficult chapters in the, all of prophecy to understand. But just for example, Zechariah fourteen twelve, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Note, go back to Revelation 20. Satan is raising up armies to wage war, and then they go and they're punished with the lake of fire, the second death. Their flesh will rot while they are standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And this is all that's going to go on outside of the city. It's going to be a plague. It's going to fall on horses and mules and camels and donkeys and whatever beasts. All of these things, all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. And year, and it says here, show, um, everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. Right. And so, and if any of the families of earth do not go up to worship uh, the king in Jerusalem, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So again, he, he goes back to this idea of judgment. But the idea is, is that the city's coming down from heaven. And John, or Jesus, as he's giving the image of visions to John, right. the city is being placed in the center, and that's where everyone is coming to worship and to see and experience God where there is no longer any temple, but we get to be in the full realized presence of the Creator. And outside of that, it says in different, like, what would it say? They'll look out, they get to look out on the bodies. Yeah, Isaiah. Isaiah, so we read that earlier. So there is this imagery, like, somehow we can see it. Now the question that we have to ask is, Well, even even Revelation 14 that you read earlier said that uh, the people, um, the fire and brimstone, they were, uh, in the presence of the Lamb. Yeah, which b- Before the Lamb could see them, you know, He so, can see them. That does raise the question, how can you enjoy, won't hell ruin heaven? <laughs> that seems to be the question people are asking. If you know people are being uh, consciously tormented eternally, their eyes are rotting, we, rotting out of their sockets. How can you enjoy heaven? I say you can enjoy heaven the same way uh, Lazarus enjoyed Abraham's bosom. I say um, that um, in the light of God, in the light of Christ, um, that that won't even be a consideration at that time. So it does seem to indicate, though, that we will have some perception of it, of what's going on. Maybe. And if we do, like if, for example, even in Sheol, right, we have... The Lazarus seems to probably be able to see, or at least Abraham's able to see, the rich man. Yep. And there is a gulf between them. Right. And so maybe there is something. Um, I don't think that we're going to take like special pleasure in that, just because I don't think God takes pleasure in those things. No. But at the same time, there is this idea that 
Okay. I've been reading a lot about just kind of the order of the world and mm-hmm. how things are viewed. Right. And I'm going to, this is kind of a, uh, a monologue here, but you'll forgive me. <laughs> the Garden of Eden didn't encompass the whole world. No. It was had borders, had boundaries. We it can did. say that, right? It did. And when God created it, it would say probably of all the things on the earth at that time, it was the most beautiful thing on earth. Yeah. I'd say. And we would say that everything in that garden, he says, was good. Which means it functioned properly. That's what good means in that context. Right. It doesn't mean it was perfect. That's not what he was trying to convey. It just means it functioned as it was meant to, and it was working pro- properly. You know, um, you guys ever have the car that breaks down all the time? You always said, it's not a good car, right? <laughs> no, it's functioning. Everything is a well-oiled machine. It's going right. right. And that's what we would call order. And the job of Adam and Eve was to take this order, be fruitful and multiply. And take the order of the garden and spread it over the whole earth. And essentially make the whole earth, because God gave them a project. He didn't make the whole earth perfect. And right. with, he gave them a project, a, a job to bring about God's order and sacred holiness to the whole world. Yep. And of course, as we know, that, got, happen. that there was a wrench, got thrown in there, known as disorder. So the world outside of the garden, I would say, was non-order. Right. Right. So we got we got three things here. We got disorder, which is sin that enters in at the fall. We've got order, which was the garden, and then we have non-order, which is the rest of the world. And then the rest of the world kind of becomes corrupted by this disorder, right? Right. And what is Jesus doing in this in the fact that like uh, Timothy or Timothy, Peter, Second Peter gives us the idea that the world's going to burn away. Right. Be burned up with fervent heat. Yeah. And that's going to bring get rid of the disorder. So that we can purify And then what? We have a new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and there's order, perfect order, not just brought to a spot, but to the whole world. Right. The whole of the universe, heaven and earth united. Eden will be accomplished. To the fullest extent by Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could do it. Right. And so what we have here is God looking at it's the same thing with the flood. He looks at the flood. He's, this, that's a judgment, right? That's just like hell in, in a way because he's looking at creation. And he says, look at this. He, our text say he regretted that he made man. Uh, just like he regretted that he made King Saul king. Absolutely. But what um, there's, a, there's a very interesting scholar named John Walden who looks at it. He says, actually, he thinks from the context and the way God's using that word, it's not God regretting. I mean... God's perfect, um, or us putting a human emotions on it. But the idea is that the the account is in the red. God looked at the world and He said, "There's so much disorder. We've got to balance the books." Right. And so God says, "It's got to be balanced." And He, he grieved His heart. He grieved His heart to look at the world and say, "Man, there's so much debt here. There's so much financial ruin, morally. The only way to fix this is to start over." Well, isn't that the good news of the gospel message? Uh, is that right there? It's it's the fact that uh, God had to balance the books when it came to the flood and destroy humanity, uh, humanity that he created. Uh, God one day will send to eternal destruction all those who are against him. But he has provided a way through Christ uh, to save many. 
I agree. And so, so th- there is you know, the love, there is the mercy, and there is the gracious God. Even Peter says, uh, where is his coming? You say his coming, but, but where is he? And Peter says, the Lord is not slow when it comes to his promises, but he is patient and long-suffering on your behalf. Yeah. And so the, the idea is that hell is the full realization of not just God's love and mercy towards us in Christ, in heaven, but hell shows us God's justice. And let's talk about that, because that's something people don't want to talk about. People like love talk about God's love, but what about God's holiness? How holy is God? Uh, according to Isaiah, He is thrice holy. The seraphim and the angels call Him holy, holy, holy. And so if that is true, that God is holy and He is other, he, there is no other thing like Him, He is separate from everything else, then when mankind transgresses against His holy character, then that deserves punishment. And you say, well, yeah, Logan, we wouldn't, we wouldn't deny that, but does it describe eternal? I mean, does it deserve eternal punishment? And I would say, who says that once a person uh, goes to hell, that they stop sinning against the holy character of God. Well, if you look at the man, the rich man in Luke 16, he's never once sorry for the life he led. Did he ask to get out? He asked, he asked for, for Lazarus to serve him, and then he said, go, 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 send, tell, my brothers. go tell my brothers. Don't come here. <laughs> yeah, because he rejected Moses, the law and the prophets, and they're like, well, even if a dead man raised from the dead comes and tells them, they still won't believe. Right which is what happened, right? Because the real Lazarus did the same thing, and then Jesus did the same thing, and they still didn't believe. Right. Um, so there is this thing that, that people are going to re- reject God. And, and here's the thing. The reason I say that the sinner who uh, is eternally sent to hell, the reason that it's an eternal punishment um, is because they continually, even in hell, or transgressing against the holy character of God. And I say that because of the Psalms. In the Psalms, the wicked who come up against the righteous, they are always a lot of times described as though that are the wicked are gnashing their teeth against the righteous. And in the same way, the wicked, the sinner, is always constantly gnashing his teeth against a holy God. And that's why I agree with C.S. Lewis who stated that hell is not locked from the outside, it is locked from the inside because they would have it no other way. Yeah, so there is still this idea that um, you, even in, in God's sovereignty and all these things that we can talk about, um, you get what you want right? in some regards. right? Uh, we feel bad for, for the idea that these people are going to be in hell forever. But they are, why would they want to be in the presence of a God that they hate and reject? Right. So Now, some have consciously done that, and some haven't. Um, but they've all found other things to worship, and mostly we find ourselves to worship. We worship ourselves. We, we have a problem with this because we don't understand or desire to understand how holy and, and good God is. Right. And yet his inability to tolerate but here's the the beauty of this is that even in christ this story of redemption and repentance was fulfilled and acknowledged and fleshed out for the whole world in jesus right but uh it wasn't a new idea 
this existed. So God just, he actually distinguishes himself in Isaiah from people. And the way he does it, he says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And what is he talking about? He says, let the wicked man repent of his ways and come back. Find, seek the Lord while he may be found. Right. And I will have compassion on him. And what he's saying is, is that if you or I are in the place to hold the fate and soul of humans in our hands, that we would damn them all. Right. That's, that's the condemnation of God. Now, we might think that we would be loving and empathetic and compassionate and sympathize. But if we could see to the soul of a man at the extent of the evil within us, that we would damn them all. That's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17. Right. The heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can understand it? But God is rich in mercy. But God, the best two words yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. He's rich in mercy, and He showed us in Christ who has res- resurrected our dead spirits right. and seated us with Christ. And so we have this imagery in the New Testament that explains that further, right, in the person of Jesus. But it was in the Old Testament, too. So me and Toby both agree that biblically, scripturally, that it seems to, be, to point toward more uh, eternal conscious torment. Yeah. And we would urge anyone listening to this that does not know Christ to uh, cling on to Him, to know Him. Yeah, because hell's real. Yeah. And God's, God's wrath and justice are real. And if we're not given proper perspective, which I don't, we probably won't unless you know Jesus. So in other words, come to Jesus, right? right? Hear, hear Jesus' call to you. Um, repent. Trust Him. That's it, the best advice I can give. And follow Him. Yep. Uh, or die in hell forever. Sorry. That may be a little much. <laughs> oh, hang on. Let me see. I'm going to try a button. That was the one that you were supposed to one, use yeah. for me. And what's this one? That's better. Yeah. <laughs> That's better. All right, folks. We're going to wrap it up uh, for this time, but hopefully we will have another podcast out Soon, I mean, when I say soon, could be six months. We don't know. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Or. Hello, everyone. 